Romans chapter 8. Look at this word with me. I've been so encouraged in the last few weeks with this word. And as you heard uh, a couple weeks ago, how encouraged I was that God, the Lord Jesus, is a shepherd who calls his sheep. And we looked at how he called Samuel, you remember? And who else? What other example did we look at? you remember? Oh, refresh your memory. Elisha. And the contrast of how he called Samuel, Samuel heard a voice. But Elisha didn't hear a voice. How was Elisha called? What was he doing when he was called? Far in the field. And how was he called? you remember? The shepherd just went by, another man of God comes along and he just throws his coat over him. And he keeps walking. But Elisha, he felt a call from God to follow Elijah. And it changed his whole life. He stops and he says to Elijah, Wait, wait, wait! Let me go say goodbye to my parents. And Elijah said, What did I do to you? What did I do to you? And he stops right there. Elisha does. And he kills the oxen that were driving the plow. And he breaks up the wood. And he sacrifices them to the Lord. And he follows Elijah. And he becomes Elijah's. Elijah's replacement. Not long after that, God called Elijah up into a whirlwind and gave a ministry to Elisha. Very contrasting different way than the way he gave a ministry and called Samuel. And then we looked at the next person, do you remember? In the New Testament. A guy who was, yes, Saul who was then called Paul. Very zealous. He was a fiery guy. And he was breathing out threats over God's people. And killing many of them and hauling them to prison. And Jesus stopped him one day. Right in his tracks. As he was walking down the road to Emmaus or to Damascus. And he changed his life forever. And there it was interesting. Jesus got his attention in a very outward, bright light kind of way which blinded him. But he actually got his message. The message of Jesus that put the purpose of God in his heart through a man that we only read about once in the Bible. He was like a nobody in the Bible. But he was a brother in the church. His name was Ananias. Ananias. And he comes and we don't know what he all said to Paul. But through his message to Paul, God gripped Paul's life. It changed him forever. And so we see that God speaks to us when Jesus calls us. It's different. And I found in my Christian life, I don't know how you found it, but when I listen to a riveting testimony, like Samuel's testimony, and I lay awake at night, and I try to listen to God's call. Listen to His call. And if I don't hear a voice, I can become discouraged and think, well, God must not be calling me. Is there something wrong with me? Or if I listen to Elisha's testimony, I think, well, where's the prophet of God in my life? Nobody ever threw a coat over my shoulders. And... Or if I look at 
Apostle Paul's testimony, I might be tempted to get discouraged because there's no bright light that ever came out of heaven in my life. But God, those are only three examples, but God has set forth in His Word many different ways in which He calls us as His people. I think intentionally so that He, through the Holy Spirit today, can call us, individuals, in different ways to manifest or display His power in our lives and all the different ways in which He calls us to Himself. So I encourage you, dear brother and sister, do not be discouraged if your call, God's call on your life, is different from everyone else's. Can you read that anyone else, any of the other apostles, got called like Apostle Paul? Nope. How were the others called? Jesus just walked by one day when they were fishing and said, follow me. Just a quiet, simple, little, hey, follow me. And then Matthew was busy in the collecting taxes. And Jesus just walks by and says, follow me. Was there any other Elisha experience? You can't read of it. That a man was called because he, some prophet threw a coat over his... I don't know that you can read of any of the other prophets who were called like Samuel. And yet, you read about the prophet Amos, who felt a call, a burden, he said, from the Lord. And he was just a sheep herder. He was just a farmer. He says, in one place, I'm not even a prophet. Who made me a prophet? And he had a burden of the Lord in his heart. And this burden caused him to speak. And God wrote it down for you and I and all of the ages of mankind and all eternity. It will stand forever as God's Word. God's Word will abide forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. But Amos, the book of Amos, will never pass away. So when God puts a burden on your heart, in however which way He puts it on your heart, and you know who called, you know who called, it's just a no. Whether it's like Samuel, you hear a voice. Or whether it's like Elisha, you feel the influence of another prophet within the church, another godly older brother that comes along your side and gives you an encouraging word. Or you have a great revelation like Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit does all of those still today in the church in all kinds of different ways. The important thing is to know that you're called and to follow the call. As Jesus said in John 10, My sheep, they know my voice and they follow my call. And we read all these examples of men and women in the Scriptures who followed the call. And it changed their life radically. It separated them from the life that they had been living into a life filled with God's purpose for them and it influenced the world. It still does us today. And that's still God's purpose for His call for you and I. It's not just about me. It's about influencing others and drawing men and women to Jesus Christ 
and building a church that will influence the world for all eternity, just like he did with them. The one thing that I find in my life still today, when God puts a specific call on my life of obedience or a general call of come follow me, whether it's in a personal area, that's something I've done all my life. Maybe it's a habit I had. Maybe it's something I've enjoyed. Maybe it's the way in which I viewed something. Maybe it's my attitude in life towards, let's say, work, or towards the church, or towards my wife, or... It can be a very small thing in my life, or a major life experience. But when Jesus speaks, when I sense the call, or hear the voice, or I'm influenced through a godly man in my life, and I know God's saying, follow, follow. It's a call to obedience. Something always happens to me. Maybe it doesn't to you, but it does to me. I, the same thing that I read, that happened, now you don't read it so much in Apostle Paul, but especially in Samuel, and in Elisha, there's this Samuel runs to Eli, uh, to Eli and says, Hey, you called me. Elisha says, Who am I? Why don't you follow? And you actually do read about Apostle Paul's attitude towards it. He says, I am the least of all the apostles that I should be called even to be an apostle. Because I persecuted the church. Who am I, Lord? So I find that when Jesus calls, there's always this introverted, kind of reluctant drawback in my heart. Maybe I don't show it, or show it in different ways, but in my heart I feel a reluctance. Who am I, Lord? I want to look at that and give us God's instructive word today of who we are when he calls us. Look what he says in Romans chapter 8. In verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined, to what? What did God predestine you to be? He prearranged your life already. He has already in his heart, he has a purpose for your life. And in his mind, he knows what it looks like. He's made the arrangements. Predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. To become just like Jesus. In my attitude, in my speech, in my the conduct of my life, in being filled with His Spirit of the love that I have for God as my Father and the security of how Jesus' relationship was, was with God. He's predestined me to have that same relationship and me. To be conformed into the image of His Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now listen to this. And whom he predestined, means he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. That's the answer to any drawback or reluctance you may feel in your heart when you sense the call. God does something about it. See, He knows us so well. He created us. He knows our reaction. There's going to be one of, what? 
I'm really mad. I can't do that. Well, who am I? Or maybe it's a feeling of overwhelmness. Or maybe it's a feeling of unworthiness. Or maybe it's a, a feeling of just fear. I can't do that. That's not who I am. Whatever the reluctant response, the drawback is, God has already made the provision for that. Just like He did in these men. For us today, those whom He calls, He justifies. And as I've been pondering, justification, to me, ever since I've been a little boy, has been a big word. It was translated to me or shared with me many years ago that it means a very simple thing. Just as if you had never sinned. To be made like that. But it's hard for me to grasp that. Can you, can you imagine yourself like as if you had never sinned? The boys and I are going through Genesis and we were reading in the Garden of Eden how Adam had fellowship with God and the contrast of his relationship after he sinned. And immediately, when God spoke, the one thing that happened after he sinned is he had this fear. He runs and he hides himself in the trees. And God says, why are you? Where are you, Adam? He says, I'm hiding from you. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. What? Who told you you were naked? That's still the the sense of, I can't imagine my relationship outside of God. I can't imagine myself just having this never sin in the presence of God. Can you? I can't. Somehow, I just can't wrap my mind around that. Because I know that I am a sinner. I have sinned so much in my life. And that sin must be dealt with. I can't it's just not who I am. I was born in sin. I was this sinful flesh. It's still here with me, even after walking with Jesus all these years. It isn't eradicated. It isn't gone. I'm still tempted. I still fall. I still fail with my tongue. I'm not a perfect man. Like it says in James. A perfect man? Never sins with his tongue. Not even once. Bridled. This man is a perfect man. And able also to bridle the whole body. That's my goal. But I'm not there yet. I still fail. I still find myself in Colossians chapter 3, like Anthony read, where I have to put off the old man of anger. Frustration in my life. just had to deal with that yesterday. I couldn't believe what, how frustrated I got yesterday. And as I think back over it, I think, what? It was such a little thing. And God worked it all out for my good, but it was just a job up in the mountains. The subcontractor didn't do what he said he was going to do. And the customer was upset and called me all kinds of names. And I was just, he didn't do what he said he was going to do. And he wouldn't respond to me. And, wouldn't, and I just got frustrated in my heart. And I had to make a trip all the way up there just to get in the stuff because he wouldn't. Why don't people listen? That's how I was feeling inside. And it came out in my family a bit. And last night I had to repent and say, God, 
Why don't I have complete victory over this? I shouldn't have been disturbed by that at all. I should have just, you know, been at peace. And Katie reminded me, you know, God is in control of this. He has a purpose for it. It's all for his good. And guess what? It turned out to be a pretty good day, didn't it, boys? Pretty good. We got a family trip to Red Feather Lakes all the way up there. and It was a, it was a good day when my attitude changed. So I still find myself with this flesh that I have to deal with, that I have to put off the old man with his deeds and put to death in my life. How in the world can I be justified? What does this mean? I know God has called me, but do you know what that does to me when I see that kind of sin in my life like I sinned yesterday? In my heart, more than even with my tongue, it makes me want to draw back and say, who am I? What? Lord, why did you even call me? I'm unworthy to have this call of being a godly father, a godly husband, a, a man that speaks the gospel, is called to speak the gospel to others and witness to my neighbors and encourage the saints. Look at me. I still have such a long way to go. And then God says, but those whom I've called, I have justified. The Lord has given me this beautiful picture. I forgot to do this. Would uh, Scott, would you fire, or would someone come up and fire up the computer? Let's see where I have this. Maybe it's in my... What did I do? Here it is. I have some photos that if you would upload here for me, just two of them. Would you mind? Um, the Lord gave me this beautiful, beautiful picture of justification that I had never quite seen so clearly in the Scriptures. But it's there. The first it starts with, and all of us have experienced this, right? We have experienced forgiveness. Take this, take this action of God out of our life. Take it out of Paul's life. Would he, would, would he even be Apostle Paul as we knew him today? He wouldn't, would he? And he had a lot to be forgiven about. Can you imagine? No wonder he says, I'm the worst of the sinners. I'm the chief of the sinners. He says to Timothy, I'm the worst. But in my own heart, in my own life, when I see motives come out, I think, I feel like I'm the worst also. And yet, this principle of forgiveness, of just being able to say, Lord, I failed. Please forgive me. Wash me clean from this sin. First John 1, verse 9. Look at this with me. We know it well, right? But do we experience it well? First John 1, 9. If, I'll begin in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. That means He does it every time. He's faithful. And He's righteous. That means it's not something that is a favor. It's the right thing for Jesus to do. 
Have you considered that Jesus, God says, if you confess your sin, the right thing for me to do as God is to forgive you. That's an amazing thing. That it's the right thing for God to do when I confess my sin is to forgive me every time. Now, I hadn't really grasped that. I knew it's the right thing for me to do, to you, but to understand and believe in my heart that it's righteous for God to do it to me every time sets me free from trying to earn my salvation or earn some favor or from this feeling of unworthy drawback. You know, from the call of my life. Say, I'm unworthy. I can't, Lord, I failed yesterday. I can't open my mouth today. There's almost this, this sense, and I understand, I think, more the older I get in my Christian life, why the Catholics taught for hundreds of years that you should have a penance when you sin. You have to come with, up with some money or some sacrifice or give something to God for your sin. They've taught that for hundreds of years. In fact, they've even taught that you can, if you give enough of money, you can buy yourself out of what they call purgatory, or a place where you go if you die, that is a miserable place. I don't know what it all looks like in their minds, but it's simply not true. Salvation is a free gift, and it's God's right thing to do when you and I simply confess our sins. It's Jesus' right thing to do. To forgive us our sins, and not only that, but to cleanse us from all the unrighteousness of that sin. Do you need to know which one? Have it loaded up? Uh, the image of a slave, first. We're talking about justification. Those whom he called, he also justified. So I just googled image of slavery. And this was one of the better ones I could find. I've been going through the book of Romans and thinking about this justification. Jesus said that if those of us who continue sinning were the slave of sin, that in Romans, he tells us in Romans here, we're in Romans chapter 8, if you back up through to Romans chapter 3, chapter 4, and you go through the scriptures here, and you see in chapter 6 that, shall we continue in sin that grace me abound? No, why not? Because this has happened. We are no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer a slave. This is what justification is to me. A slave. Think about slavery. And I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, I was appalled as I spent time going through American history a bit and how we treated slavery in this country and how in my own short little life of these, this era that I live in, because I've never seen slavery. I didn't live 100 or 200 years ago when it was so prevalent in 
Christian homes. I couldn't believe. What was the church doing? The church! All these hundreds of years that we would take people and sell them on an auction block and buy them and get rich through them. Not pay them for their wages. Just take care of them because it was a way of life. Slavery was such a way of life that people didn't even see it for the sin that it really is. And that's exactly how it still is in our lives today. I realize there are so many areas in my life that I look at the slavery that I am when I'm attached to things, when I find myself enslaved to a habit or to an attitude or to anything else in this life. I can minimize it to something that is just, you take it on the screen and you just minimize it down to this little button where I don't even really think about it because I don't notice it. I just want to kind of brush it aside. Instead of allowing Jesus to deal with slavery, a little like Abraham Lincoln made it an issue of his presidency. He was willing to take it on and say, that's it. We're going to fight for freedom. We're going to set this country free. And I'm not and pro-Abraham Lincoln, whatever, not getting into politics here, but I'm simply setting forth that there was a man who was willing to tackle slavery for the sin and debauchery and the awfulness that it really was and set a, take a huge risk to put a country at war against it. Are you willing to deal with slavery like that? Let me tell you something. Jesus already did. This is what Jesus did. He set the captives free. That's what he's come for. The word in Isaiah says that this was his mission. He has come to set the captives free. In Isaiah chapter 61, Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, in Luke chapter 4, stood up in the synagogue and read those words and said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I have come to set Captives free. Has he come into your life for this purpose, dear brother and sister? He has. And you and I are set free when we believe it. When we reckon it to ourselves and say, Yes, Lord, you have come not just to forgive my sins. That's one part of it. But you have also come to abolish Slavery in my life. You have come to set me free. My mind goes to John. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus said these words, John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, these were believing Jews, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. He didn't say, and the truth will forgive your sins. Yes, it will do that. But that's just a part of it. It will set you free. 
They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You shall become free? Dear brother, sister, I see my same heart attitude when the Holy Spirit so often has come into my life and has said, I have come this truth. I am sharing with you with a specific word of truth. In my heart, a specific call to obedience. The reluctance partly I found in my life was this attitude. I'm not enslaved to this. What do you mean? I'm going to be set free, Jesus. Holy Spirit. I don't need to be set free from this. I'm not a slave to it. Just like them. And yet they were slaves of the Romans. They were free. But they didn't see it as slavery. Because the Romans gave them a certain boundary of freedom. They gave them the freedom. The Jews at this day were free to worship in their temple. They were free to have their synagogues. They were free even to have their government. Underneath the Roman Caesar's government, he allowed them to have their own Sanhedrin and kind of enforce their own laws. They had a sense of freedom, but it wasn't free. Like Jesus was speaking about. Look how Jesus addresses it. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 34, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son does remain forever. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. How does Jesus really set us free? How did he set you free? What does this word justification really mean? Those whom he calls, he sets free. He breaks the yoke of bondage of slavery to sin. How does he do it in your life? Next photo. That's how. I was going through the book of Hosea. If you haven't done that lately, I strongly encourage you to go back and read through this book. I tell you, more and more that I read it, it's my life's testimony. Hosea. The story is of Hosea and God's word to Israel. The way I will set you free from your sin of adultery, which we were talking about today, this divided heart, these divided motives, these things that you find in yourself, free from frustration of life, free from the attitudes of whatever you're dealing with or wrestling with, love has come to set us free. Love. And that's exactly... Not only did God... We were slaves, like the other photo. Take us back to the other photo. And I want, I want to give us this visual, because they say a picture speaks a thousand words. This is who I was. Slave to sin. And Christ has come. Next photo. To make us his bride. Has that contrast happened in your life, dear brother, sister? Do you see it? Do you understand that he has called you and justified you just like that. From a slave to his bride. That's justification. And that's the story of Hosea. In Hosea, 
He says to Israel in chapter 2 that he will turn in verse 15 the valley of Achor as a door of hope. Do you know what the valley of Achor was? Anyone know? It was the valley in which they stoned Achan for his sin. What had Achan done to die? And his whole house died that day with him. What had they done? That was so bad. Does anyone know? He just took a few garments. Right? What's the matter with that? Are you serious? God! Come on, I just took a little bit of stuff that I found. When they were conquering, what's the city's name? Jericho, thank you. My mind went blank. Yes, I just took a few nice garments. I seen that really nice coat. I thought, what's the matter? I'll just put it in my tent. What's the matter with that? We're going to destroy it all anyway. It was just a little act of disobedience. Just a little. Compared to the grand scale of scheme of things that was going on, right? We were conquering Canaan. We killed all these wicked people. I just took a little bit of the clothing. Boom! Dead. Stone. His whole family. That's slavery. That's what you and I deserve. Just a little sin. James says that if you fail the law in one point, you become guilty of the whole law. The weight and the guilt of the whole law rests upon me. I become the chief of sinners. And Jesus, God says here, I'll take that instance, that little failure, frustration in your life, that little besetting sin that you have in your life that you may be enslaved to. And I'll comfort for you. I'll justify you. I will release you from the guilt of it by forgiving you and I will release you from the power of it from the slavery of it by marrying you. And I'll turn that little besetting sin into a valley of hope. It will become a valley of dear of hope. And she was sing as in the days of her youth. And as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt, they sang a song, you know, when they were delivered through the Red Sea. Verse 19. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. That's justification. Will you believe that? Today. And be encouraged. Over the smallest besetting sin in your life. God has put a call and upon you and upon me to make it a door of hope. To make it an issue not of just forgiveness. But of where our love, my love for Him, His love for me is experienced and my love for Him is stronger than ever because of my failure. Out of the failure, love is made stronger. God bless you.